podcast series where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global and mad technologies community. As always, I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as we do as soon as I introduce myself, we say a big, warm Texas hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick. How are things going on the left coast over there? Are y'all doing okay? <laughs> yes. It's just all uh, sunshine and rainbows over here. Can't get any better. Uh, It's great news. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, So I I don't know. I've told you before, but uh, I'm out in the field yet again doing what I've kind of loved doing out here at the old forensics anthropology research facility, Um, hanging out with my peeps, taking pictures, and just uh, living life large. (laughs) I'll let you decide how much you want to go into, uh, you know, what we're doing out here at Ye Old Body Farm. Well, I know that um, uh, you guys have been working on some projects out there for a long time, so maybe you could just give us a little, I mean, it was technically before the show started for everyone, um, just to fill everyone in. So, (laughs) before the show started, we're waiting for it to kick off, and I I hear... um, you know, like a multi-rotor coming in for a landing. And uh, what, what, maybe you can give us the uh, notes version of what in the heck you're doing. You know, I, I've got to admit that I've got to be the most blessed pilot, kind of scientist, you know, geek, whatever you want to call it, to, to be able to come out here to this facility. I've said it before, i said it again. It's just uh, it enhances what we're doing out there on the search and rescue side of it. And uh, because of the world events, now we're kind of doing some things that um, are, you know, a, a little more timely, but unfortunately so. We're actually that we spent the last week uh, exhuming a mass grave. And uh, even though that sounds kind of gruesome, I mean, the science behind it is really fascinating and, and it's uh, highly technical and you know, the things that they do out there in the field to detect these sort of things is going to be changing significantly. And I'm very happy to be involved in it, to be quite honest with you, because it is going to be game-changing science. Um, so that's really kind of what we've been doing for the last week and a half or so. And um, our international team out here from the uh, Netherlands, uh, Italy, the U.K. So, uh, you know, let's get together all this together. Well, that's interesting, and you'll have to. Um, it's always kind of nice to be on the cutting edge. So you'll have to. We'll have to talk about that. We'll have to do a program and and talk about it because I know it's been going on for quite some time. And some of the findings and whatever else. Maybe you could get somebody from the university to come on and uh, explain what all of that means. Yeah, we could do that. Sure. All right. Well, sounds good to me. All right. Well, we got a, we got a good one today. And uh, so I'm going to, I want to bring on our, our guest. Oh, first off of that, today's uh, program is Small Unmanned Aircraft Systems, SUAS, of course, Traffic Analysis, A11L, period, UAS.91. This is the initial annual report. And I gave you, it's, it's uh, I'm going to say it's a, a Latin name, but it's its real name. That way, if you want to go out there and Google 
this uh, report, and we'll actually talk about where the website is. And that might be one thing we might have you do right as soon as, as soon as you come on. So let's bring on our guest, Dr. Ryan Wallace, who's a professor at Emeryville Aeronautical University. University. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Patrick and uh, Gene. Uh, really pleased to be on the show with you today. Thank you for the invitation. Hey, we're pleased to have you because um, this is something that, you know, me, me and Gene are holding hands at the Aerospace Integration Rodeo. Um, <laughs> one of the things we've been hearing for years is that we just had some data. We need some data. It's all about the data. Show me the data. And, and now we're, we're kind of here. So before we, we launch into the uh, fact-finding cavalcade, possibly well, you – yes, sir. I was going to say, we're super excited to bring you the data, and uh, I think this is a, the first of a, a long set of oncoming data, too, so this is going to be great. Good. I love data. You know, I uh, think that there's some of us that uh, appreciate the scientific side of this thing. I mean, I was a conjecture guy for years. You know, I love feelings and all the rest of that. Then I, I started to warm up. <laughs> to hard data, and, and now I'm just like a data guy, I'm like you know, seeing the light. So before we get too far into this, possibly could introduce yourself and give the audience a, a, a you know, close notes version uh, bio. And I always say that people are like, well, how can you know, you know give people my bio or whatever? Usually we have people on the show that are so accomplished. I'd have to read, like, you know, a two- or three-page dissertation on everything these people have done. So, okay. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it pretty short. Uh, I'm an associate professor at Every Riddle Aeronautical University in the Aeronautical Science Department. I uh, actually started out teaching at a community college that had an aviation program, and uh, that's actually where I got my start in drones. They uh, wanted to add a drone class, and so we added a, an early drone class before the onset of Part 107. Uh, and then I found myself fascinated with drone research, where it's going to lead. And that's uh, kind of where I got my start. And as a result of that, I uh, kind of found a favor in the UAS detection and tracking field, do a lot with the counter UAS or UAS mitigation, uh, whatever the term of the month is. And then uh, also worked on a couple of publications. One is the UAS Pilots Code, which many people are familiar with, and uh, also advised the FA on the drone safety team as well. And that's the drone-related stuff. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff in there. Golf handicap is, no, I'm um, Like I said, usually people come onto this program and they're, they're, they're uh, you know, accomplished, and they've got such a long uh, history of work that they've been doing. So, you know, you're talking about this uh, college class, the drone class, the 4107, whatever, that would indicate that you've kind of been in the drone thing for uh, a few years. I have, and uh, we've done a lot of experiments and different scientific studies, but uh, I, I kind of live in the science of the drone space, yes. All right, well, that's good. So, you know, and, and I think that this would probably, uh, you know, I give people the title of this report, and I'm sure there's some folks that have, that have Googled that. Is there, uh, you know, some place that it would be easier for people to follow because they might, or, or find, because they might want to follow along with what we're talking about? Did you have sure. another website on it? 
Right. So uh, if I were to summarize this report very, very simply, uh, we realized that there was a lack of data out there to understand what is truly going on in the national airspace system. Back in 2014, the FAA started tracking this idea of sighting reports when uh, folks were spotting a drone out there. And it could be a drone doing legal things, and it could have even been not even a drone. It could have been a balloon. Um, but the FAA has, uh, in the past, used this data, we call this proxy data or indirect data, to, to measure the effect of safety on uh, the national airspace system. And, and the problem is it's garbage data. Uh, it's reliant on someone to spot a drone. Uh, we don't know if all those are valid in terms of uh, whether or not they actually are drones, and certainly the distance measurements are, uh, uh, are questionable as well because they're based on perception. And so my research team said, let's do it different. Uh, we wanted to bring empirical data, data that could not be argued with, to the table to show what was really going on out there. So we worked with a series of UAS detection companies to purchase data, and then we started to leverage that data to first analyze and understand what's going on, and then start to fuse that with other data sources like ADSB information, which would be aircraft traffic, weather information, uh, critical infrastructure information, and a whole host of other databases that don't talk to each other. And finally, try to make sense of what is truly happening in the national airspace system related to drones. That's the project. How do you qualify that? <laughs> What's happening? Uh, I would agree. You know, it was funny before the drone thing really went mainstream. I was on a site where people go, and uh, I think the FAA used to do the UFO, UFO sighting, and then they, you know, just left that off to somebody else. And uh, I went over there one time to look at UFO sightings. It had green and, and red lights on it, and it made this buzzing sound. And people were describing drones. Uh, you know, they didn't know what the, they were looking at, where it was, whatever else. And I, I only bring that up to kind of give people a bit of a flavor of, you know, these drone sighting things. And, you know, there was another, uh, you'll remember, you probably remember this. I mean, I, I did, uh, we were, did the small unmanned systems business expo, San Francisco, and I, I want to say it was 2013 or 14, and Jim Williams was there. And he and said, oh, hey, there was a near miss between an airliner and a drone, and that story went worldwide. But these near misses, there, there, is a, there is a way to report this. There is a procedure to already report that. And one of the things that uh, kind of bothered me about this, taking the, the, the sighting report, it's just like somebody's word or whatever. It's like there, there's a process from that. You start to catalog this, interview the pilots, and yada, 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 and none of that happened. So I was just like, you know, that's, I, I don't really, that's place as far as I'm concerned. Um, so this is something that's totally different. This is something where you're actually uh, sensing the drones. Do you, do you want to talk about how this is collected? Or Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. So we use a series of radio frequency detection devices. Uh, they do have some limitations. They only detect one type of drone, which is the DJI product. DJI is the uh, largest drone manufacturer out there and certainly uh, has the preponderance of drones here in the United States anyway. Uh, but leveraging these sensors, 
we were able to uh, collect information on the drones within the range of each of these locations. There were 64 locations that we analyzed. Uh, and now we start to paint a picture of what different types of locations look like, whether it's an urbanized location, a rural location, uh, and so on. So that's, that's kind of the basics of it. Certainly those sensors have some limitations. They're not perfect, just like any sensor is not perfect. Um, but for the very first time, now we have large-scale data that is at the end of this project, is, which is going to be a three-year project, we'll be able to paint that long-term picture about what is actually happening. And that, that was one of my questions. So, you know, as it is now, what, what, how, how, uh, how many years has this project been going, and how many years is this project slated to go? Sure. So th this is going to be a three-year, 36-month project, and uh, we're expecting two more reports out of it. So we have an annual reporting requirement. This is the first. We're expecting another about the same time next year, and then finally we'll finish up in the third year. Um, I anticipate, and this is just a guess. This is not coming from the FAA. I think that there will be even follow-on as we start to integrate other types of opportunities like remote identification and other tracking sources because this is still valuable information. We're still at the precipice of integration in urban air mobility, advanced air mobility, uh, you know, larger UAS as they come in uh, online as well. So the need for this kind of activity will not stop just because the project stops. Right. So another question. Uh, oh, go ahead, Gene. Uh, no, I, I, I totally agree. And if, if you want to talk about the Alpha Geek data, you know, my, my last past 20 years of my life was in uh, – a data analysis. So, you know, and, and Patrick, it's kind of interesting if you'll take a little trip with me in the Wayback Machine back in 2000, I think it was even in the aught, like nine or, or so or 10, uh, if you'll recall, uh, we got, we were told the same thing. We need data. We need data. And uh, under the R Kappa banner, I actually wrote an app that uh, we would send out to anybody who wanted a free app. It was a, basically an electronic logbook. And it would anonymously, not it would even send any PII or anything like that, but it would anonymously send flight times, make, model, and that sort of thing. And uh, I, as you recall, we got turned down because they said it couldn't be qualified. Uh, and I, I think it's kind of humorous when you, when you look at the kind of stuff that they're doing, taking the general public, like the UFO site, and the uh, the incidental sightings, near miss sightings, and stuff like that. Talk about not being qualified. Uh, but uh, you know, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Well, and, uh, you know, I got to say that Embry Riddle is going to be the one who is going to be able to to get that 800 pound gorilla corral so that we can do something useful with it. Well, I think so too. Okay. And I, you know, go ahead, Patrick. Oh, I just wanted to say that you know you're, you're with them, real, but this is this was an assured effort, right? I mean, this was a this is an assured effort, yes. Yep, we actually have three universities involved. So Embry-Riddle, Kansas State University, and then Wichita State right. University. The three of us working together as uh, the producers of this product through the Assure program. I just wanted to throw. That. I want to make sure everybody gets the, the credit that they are due on this one. Now, you know, so. You know, being a kind of, you know, uh, an old timer, an old hand, whatever. So, you know, I was at the uh, pre UTM kickoff thing. Uh, 
So, you know, talking to NASA and all the rest of that, even before that got funding and everything else, and be, oh, you know, we're going to have to have this unmanned traffic management system. I don't even think it was UTM at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we're at the kickoff, guy from the FAA, well, you know, you're going to have to figure out, you know, what, where, and when, and how people are going to be flying, when they're going to be flying, and how long, and what type of operations they're going to do, and you know, out in the future and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> how, are we, how are we supposed to do that? You know, I mean, nobody knows what's going on in the NASH as far as drones are concerned. And, uh, you know, so you want to kind of design, build, maintain, run a system that nobody has any idea uh, of, of what it's going to have to do and how many people it's going to have to accommodate. Well, yeah, you just have to take the instruments and figure that out, which to me uh, sounded that uh, they weren't really looking for a solution because it's just too hard to tell. It's always been with this drone thing. like People are like, oh, this guy's going to be dark with drones. Possibly. I think that that is regulatory dependent. The more regulation that you have um, is, is going to stifle innovation and also economic viability. So these are well, some of the issues that I have. One hundred percent, Patrick. And I, I got to credit you because you have always been calling for data on these programs, and, and you're not the only one. If you actually look into the, the history, there was a great report by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine that in 2018 said, "Hey, we we need to get data about what's going on in low altitude airspace." Uh, the Commercial Drone Alliance said the same thing in 2020. And so this has been called for again and again and again, and even the GAO uh, would admit that more data is needed to make some of these decisions. So. 100% correct. Well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to build something out that we don't need. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, there's no reason to waste uh, everyone's time, money, and all the rest of it. So you, you have to kind of take a sample of what's going on. Now, one of the things that I, I saw, and again, this, this report is, there's, there's a lot of opinions here, and I would suggest that people go and um, look for this report, and it's on the Assure UAS website, um, and, and you can look at it. And you have some heat maps, and you also have some uh, data sampling maps and all those things. And there's, there are, I've only said, you know, I believe, well, I know that beyond, safe beyond visual line of sight operations have been, uh, we've been able to do that for years. And how do we do that? Well, you know, there's a, a risk uh, matrix that we can work on, and this corn bluff Iowa scenario, and I don't even want to run through it right now, but you can figure out, you know, uh, size of the aircraft, endurance, all of a sudden proximity to people and their craft, blah, 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 blah. And you can actually sit down and scientifically calculate, uh, make a safety case for flying a corn field or whatever. Um, What I have heard from the community, and I'm going to go with San Francisco because i got lots of experience flying there, as a, as a professor at a university there, and I remember telling the federal law enforcement people, we've got, you know, over a thousand drone flights here a day, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're all over the place, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? I mean, I'm not seeing them. I'm not seeing all these drones. I, I, you know, I don't know. And it looks to me like you, you've got, um, there's a lot of sampling locations. You know how many off the top of your head, right? 
Oh, there's a whole host of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, just off the top of my head here, uh, we've got a combination of, you know, Minneapolis, uh, Denver, Atlanta, Tampa, Orlando, uh, you know, anywhere you can think of. There, there's 64 of these different locations that, for the most part, do a fair sampling around the United States. I just kind of, I'm like, there's 15, and I'm looking here. It's like a whole page of uh, locations. And uh, I will say that a lot of these have, um, there's class Bravo locations. Hey, there's Yuma. Love Yuma, Stan. Um, and then there are also some uh, C&D and whatever else. But So in these locations, I mean, you guys uh, did it compile um, data on actually how many flights were happening. I, I, I thought it was pretty interesting because you guys even broke it down and it was in like time of day, day of week, month, you know, things like that. And, and, and I'm going to ask you, I mean, I'm, I'm, were you talking to people in these municipalities or were you just collecting or did you talk to them after the interview or was there any That's of that a great question. So all of this data is purely limited just to that, that RF sensor that we used. So we, we have not talked to anyone. Uh, in fact, that was, that was almost a protection mechanism because one of the things we're very sensitive to uh, is we don't want to reveal anyone that's actually included in this study. We don't want to reveal anyone that's flying because if you know, uh, we re, you know, find someone that maybe isn't doing something right, uh, we want to protect them. We don't want them to be uh, subject to an enforcement action or anything like that, uh, because we do find people uh, that you know don't follow the rules. It's a it's a mere fact. Um, so that was one reason we specifically didn't want to involve anyone uh, in an interview capacity. Okay. Well, and you know, but I would say, like, like I said, you know, so the example that I gave of the San Francisco and the federal law enforcement saying there was a thousand flights a day was the average, you know. Which I, I'm like, ah, you know, I, that's really hard for me to believe. So after this report was compiled and the, and the data was put out, um, you know, what, what have you, have you talked to people in these municipalities and said, hey, this is kind of like what, what we found here? Um, did, did you realize this? What, what do you think? Good, good question. So there have been pockets of, uh, of interest in this report. Obviously, this report was very, very recent. Uh, even though the, the date technically on the report is 1 August, it really came out here uh, you know, just a few weeks ago. So, I mean, it's still within the two-week fresh period. So we are literally talking about brand-new information that maybe the market hasn't even assimilated yet. Um, I, I will say this. Most of this information and the methodologies that we've used to construct this is based on some sampling work that we've done at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport for a period of about three years. And I just want to give you some numbers so you have some appreciation of what we're talking about. In the Dallas area, uh, from about August 2018 to, uh, to August of 2021, you're looking at a population of DJI platforms of just over 30,000 with about 470-ish thousand flights. Uh, and I can say the vast majority of those flights were conducted safely. So I think there's really good news in those reports. Uh, and I think it highlights, uh, as you've often said, Patrick, that people are out there doing a good job. They're flying safely. There are a few people that, that kind of spoil, uh, the, you know, they create those problems. And so those, I think that's the good news, bad news part of the report, is now we know what that proportion looks like. Mm -hmm. 
And so, and I was going to ask him and say, hey, have you uh, shared this with the FAA and what was the feedback? But uh, the explanation you just gave about how this is new data would uh, probably mean that they haven't gotten back to you on this yet. Well, okay, the, the FAA is, uh, you know, obviously they're very interested in this data, and I know one of, you know, they have a number of reasons why they want it. First of all, uh, they're trying to understand um, how, what does forecasting look like? How are we going to project how many drones are coming into the system into the future? Now we've got some empirical data to base some of that forecasting on. They can certainly use it for risk assessment purposes as they evaluate different types of waiver requests. Understanding what drone operations in certain areas looks like can be very informative. Understanding the different land types that we're seeing more preponderant operations from uh, can be helpful. They obviously wanted to understand exceedance rates. In other words, when people break the rules, um, to what extent that's happening, and certainly to understand where and uh, if we have encounters with manned aircraft or new risks to the unmanned, uh, or excuse me, uh, new risks to the national airspace system, where is that happening? How is it happening? How does it evolve? To answer all those questions, and where this eventually leads is how can this inform upon urban air mobility? How can we bring in the next element of aviation um, by having knowledge of what the drones are doing? Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's that's interesting. I mean, I, <laughs> really, you, people have to read this report because I like this. You know, you have it. Um, we're on page fifty-six. I am anyway. <laughs> and uh, we've got holidays in here, and uh, you know, no surprise, we got Christmas Day, and we got how many flights? And it looks like there's a little spike here. And we got the day after Christmas, and it looks like there's also another spike in activity. Uh, that's kind of interesting. The other thing that I thought was really kind of interesting was there's a, a UAS population by type. I don't want to say that is on uh, page 59. And you guys have the pie chart there, and it kind of breaks down what folks are flying. And it would appear to me that it's smaller stuff. Uh, we have 31% of the Mavic Mini 2, 17% of the Mavic Air 2. So there's a large percentage of really small drones flying around. And the Phantom 4 was uh, like 1%, you know, things like this. So kind of kind of interesting. So, I mean, what the, and this is, I'm also trying to give an example of how this was like kind of broken down and, and how, let's see, uh, Kind of how far down in the weeds you guys got, or granular, whatever you want to call it, was as this data started coming in and you're coalescing all of this data, where they're like, hmm, or did you hold off to the end and go, hmm, how, how did that work? Well, I think a good way to compare it is uh, if you pick up some of those market reports, this is probably as detailed, if not more so than a paid market report. We, we have some pretty amazing information here. One of the things I really like that you picked up, the drones are getting smaller and more capable, and, and that's the direction of, of where we're seeing. Most of the drones out there are less than 0.55 pounds. That kind of changed the conversation a little bit about what the real risk is out there. Right. Now, you know, being, you know, so I was on the ARC, on the SUAS ARC, and Part of the standards, ATF, ASTM, and RTCA, and all the rest of that stuff, and so was Gene. And I will say, back in those days, most of the manned uh, concerns 
we're thinking they were going to be flying around with scales. Is it a fair assessment, Gene, from your recollection? Yeah, and you know what I think is kind of funny, Patrick, uh, if you recall, when we first proposed our certification schedule, our all-up weight was what? Four pounds? Uh, under, most of it was under four pounds, yeah. Well, and again, in this report, 98% that we're finding less than four pounds. Now, some of that's the fact that it's DGI only, because DGI generally makes relatively small ones, with the exception of the prosumer stuff. But you know, the most of, most of it out there is small, and that's pretty it's, good news. It's 85% of the market. I mean, you've got a. I mean, there's the number right there. If 85% of it, then everything else is the exception that you're facing. Exactly. Right. Well, and the other thing that I'm, I've been, I'm kind of hoping happens with this, and you know, I've been talking about this for years, and I really think that drone community and also the AAM community, uh, you, you, you got to get your act together. Really, there's a uh, gaping hole of advocacy. Uh, the community needs to do research, have their own research. And um, this would probably give them some great starting points, some baselines. Say, okay, well, you know, hey, let's, let's start off with that 95%, 80%, 70%, whatever those, those weights and speeds are, whatever else. And now you're at a point where you can actually, uh, you know, hire, let's say, a third party or whatever to do the kinetic energy testing and say, Here, here's what we're looking at. Um, so if there is a, um, you know, collision with a manned aircraft, which I know the FAA, you know, they tweeted out that they were going to be doing a uh, video about collisions with manned aircraft, which I promptly jumped up and said, if, if this stuff isn't like, you know, you're not following the, the procedures and it's not written down, quantified, and all that, just say it. I don't want to hear any conjecture. So the same deal from them. We want data. When you, you know, going to do the data dump on me, I, I gotta, I have to see the collection trail. I gotta see where this. I'm not buying on face value anymore. Just like they didn't, I'm not. So I believe now, you know, what you're kind of showing here is, hey, these are starting points. Which I even said when they came up with the 250 grams. The industry knows now what the baseline is. Start doing your research. Um, would you agree or disagree with me that, that the uh, community should pony up for some research? I mean, I think the community uh, performing some research would certainly help the advancement. Uh, certainly the, the FA is trying to do what is of interest uh, within that space, but I think the community wants to move a little faster. And if the community wants to move Agreed. faster, they, they really need to you know, be part of the process. Exactly. Agreed. Uh, you can't move at the speed of government. Exactly. Now, you, you probably remember, and I think you might have even brought this up. Remember when there was that sighting, and I, I forget where it was, but that airline, you know, they're flying, they're like, oh my God, we saw a drone on the approach. It turned out it was a, a plastic bag. Right. That was that way. Was that? Okay, well, whatever. Okay. So, you know, at the time, you know, people dropped, they're making us look bad, and blah, blah, blah. So I went to, uh, you know, the Shopping Bag Manufacturers Association, right? And, and they have a website, and they have advocacy, and they have all of this data and stuff that they've done and different kinds of science and all that stuff. 
And so if someone asks them about their industry, they can actually say, hey, well, here you go. We've got this uh, information to back up our claims that we're green and recyclable, you know, whatever uh, this plastic bag or, or shopping bag industry gets beat up on, right? The, the drone industry, you don't even have that. And I, you know, the advocates would go to Congress, and this kind of goes back to the joke in the beginning of the podcast, is like, you know, you get up there and you get, we have a lot of political capital in this industry that was just squandered, just, I mean, they had Congress eaten out of their hands. And they'd get up there and they'd be like, well, you know, what do you guys want to do? Well, Congressman Bag of Donuts, I feel like it's safe to fly at night. I feel like it's safe to fly over people, and I feel like it's safe to fly beyond visual line of sight. And I just laughed at these people and said, you think like this, you know, some congressperson is going to bet their career on, on what you feel? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your feelings outside of Valentine's Day, which I did not see on the holiday list here. Right? I'm upset about that. I think that'd be a big day for drug play. So, um, <laughs> You know, do you, do, you, do you concur with that notion or some of that notion? I mean, do you, do you think, I mean, as, as an industry, is it just, uh, to me, it's unfathomable that we don't have our own data? I mean, certainly the industry has has value if they become a part of the process. Uh, you know, uh, I, it's, it's funny because I was thinking just the other day as I'm looking at some of the Assure um, projects that are coming down, you know, it, it makes me wonder, you know, is the industry are these the projects that the industry also wants? I know the FAA wants them because the FAA is putting money out there, uh, asking to do them. But my question is, what would the industry want if they were the ones funding it? And and uh, sometimes I think that leaves a little bit of open territory to say. There might be other things, things like uh, type certifications or other types of elements that might be of uh, great interest to the industry that may not be being performed right now. And I think because uh, yeah, did you want to say something, Gene? I'm sorry. Well, again, I totally agree with the industry needs to have a voice in this, but uh, as you know, remember quite well, our cap was that, and by the strength of 2,500 or so members, you got on the original arc. But again, how do you uh, get all the people that are out there flying drones to join that association? And put their, you know, nominal fee behind it so you can actually get something done. That's a big problem that we have. Right. Well, well, at least the is not, is not the voice. Okay. Well, that's you know that's all another program where I could just drop the hammer. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. But yeah. For 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 a lot of time. Well, the air capital thing was a little bit of a different animal at the time because you know we were interfacing with the FAA. And we couldn't go tell the, our membership to go out and break the law. You had to go along with the policy clarification, but it was a little different. So as we moved into, let's say, even right before the pre-107 kickoff and whatever else, and then you're kind of making the point for me, and I'm not going to out people by name, but I will say that when the registration task force and the 250 grants came out, I had brought this up, and I brought it up to some of the coalitions and groups that they needed to get their members to come up with some money, and I had worked out a deal with NASA, and we were going to do a SpaceX grant, and we were going to do some kinetic energy testing. So 
I, I talk to the different companies. I talk to uh, DJI. I talk to 3D Robotics. I talk to the different coalitions. And even the people, the, the lobbyists at the coalitions were like, yeah, this, that's a good idea. you got to have some data. I mean, what are you going to show people when you're going to talk to them? So exactly. So where I knew things were amiss, and this person was the chairperson at the DAC at the time, as I said, you know, you need to put up a little bit of money so we can do this research so we can uh, further our own case. And <laughs> the lady says to me, why would we want to do that when the FAA is going to do that? They're going to pay for it. Why should we pay for it? <laughs> I said, wait, wait, wait. Okay, I, just, I, I got a slow learner. I got to just kind of capture all this. So what you're saying is, is you're going to let the regulator who doesn't know what your customer base does or what your, how you use your product, you're going to let them ask the questions on, on the research. Well, yeah. I got, I, and I even told her, I said, you know, I, I got to tell you, I have like no confidence in your qualifications to be the chairperson on, on this committee. I, I just don't. Uh, you think that was, you know, just a personal opinion? You think I'm kind of on base, off base, that you guys a jerk like most people all tell you? What, what do you think, right? <laughs> Wander in there. Am I a jerk or not? Well, you know, I think it, it really highlights that if you want something done on a business timetable, the business has got to be part of it. That's really what it comes down to. Well, well, that in the business, because the people that are the manufacturers have, I think, are going to have a better idea on how their customers uh, are going to use the products, what the limitations totally are, and and that the people don't understand that. And it kind of goes back to the manned aviation guys, to gals, people. They didn't. They had really no idea what people wanted to do, or what these operations looked like, or where they would be, or what size the aircraft would be. And we didn't really have anything to show them. Uh, when I was on the Ark, I, I had I used the Cracker Barrel, which was a uh, slow stick, and I think that thing was a pound, something like that. And when I finally uh, did the demo and flew for everybody. Uh, we did that at Quantico. People were just, oh, wow, this is what you're talking about? Even the FAA. It's like, wow, maybe, maybe we uh, screwed up. Maybe we went too far or hard over, you know? Um, so those are, those are definitely some issues. And I, I still think, I can't believe that we're this far along and the community hasn't hired some third-party investigator or worked with NASA or someone else to, uh, to do these kinetic energy testing, especially now that we're starting to find out that such a large percentage of what's out there flying is, is so light. Well, and if I so may, Patrick, I, you know, yeah. let me just highlight this. Assure does not solely work just for the FAA. So the Assure group will absolutely do other forms of research related to you know, aviation safety, and we're exploring some of those, uh, the, those areas of interest. So if there is industry interest in research out there, Assure is an opportunity uh, to be able to come to the table because of that capability of performing very advanced aviation research. And I, would, I would encourage those folks that are interested in that to reach out to the director. Right, okay, and that's, that's good. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad that you said that. Now, one other thing, since we're on that topic, I mean, do you, are, I don't know if you're aware, do you guys have a decent relationship with DJI? We certainly do, yes. Um, obviously, okay. a lot of technical information is necessary and so on. 
because uh, my relationship's a little tattered with DJ Ice currently for for other reasons. I think they made a great product with <laughs> a great price point, but uh, I, I have a few misgivings that we'll leave for another show. But the reason that I bring that up is you may have seen that uh, they, they tweeted out a tweet and they talked about, and I don't have it in front of me because the cat's sitting on my phone, uh, is uh, they, they talked about all of the, the takeoffs, or, or they, they talked about all the flights and the kilometers traveled. It was like around the moon and back. Do you remember that by chance? Do you remember that when they put that data out? And I think if I understand you correctly, you're talking about the uh, that voluntary customer feedback where they're providing data uh, at their discretion. Is that what you're referring to, Patrick? Uh, well, I, I yeah, I, mean, I think it was the, what they collected is like from from their customers, and that you know people opted in or whatever. I don't know how it was all collected, but they basically given totals of like time flight or kilometers flown worldwide for their customers. Right, uh, and I, I do <laughs> remember when that was published. Absolutely. Now, and I did try and get in touch with them, of course. I didn't hear back. Um, but my thing was is I really thought for them the thing to do would be to try and put that data into, let's say, a form that the FAA could digest more along the lines of the GAATA survey. Are you aware of that survey? Yes, uh, I'm absolutely aware of that. I, I can okay. see the logic. Um, at the same time, you know, I can also see that you know, th- there are certainly risks, too. Um, you know, at the end of the day, DJI is a company like anyone else that's trying to make money, and the question then becomes, does that function allow them to sell more drones? And, and I, I don't know if the answer is yes or no. Uh, I do think that that kind of data is valuable from an industry standpoint. Whether or not it makes sense for them to do that from a business standpoint is a completely different animal. Well, this is true, but I do think that if it was in a form or in a way, and believe me, I can understand the apprehension, but if it was in something that the FAA could digest, I mean, people, this is another thing that Gene's going to remember, and it looks like we're going to go long. I don't care. These always go long, but that's just kind of, as soon as you get into this and you start digging around out in the yard, you know, you never know what you're going to find. So do you have a few, you have a few more minutes? you have to go or you, you have time to hang in there with us? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, one of the things that was, uh, and this was back in, I want to say, 2005 or six. you had AOPA was at, uh, testifying to Congress and slamming their fist down on the table and we must have an equivalent level of safety. These drone guys have got to meet an equivalent level of safety with man aviation. And uh, I don't know if you find are you following the trends on GA as of late. And I'm I'm certainly aware that that is the target is to try to achieve that equivalent level of safety. Okay, so you know we're, we've been legal now, you know we're in six years coming up, whatever. Um, and it would appear, you know, just cursory view of things that. Uh, where it looks, it looks like we might be uh, safer, definitely the fatality department than than the uh, than the GA community. But fair to say, or not fair to say. Well, and, and you know, 
I think it comes down to comparing apples and, and oranges. Um, I, I think that the desire may be to achieve that equivalent level of safety, but the metrics are not the same. The, the operations are not the same. The environment is not always the same. And so uh, to try to put those together and say, are we equivalent, it, it may not be the right question. Uh, that may be the goal, but I don't know that we can truly compare them side by side in that way, if that makes sense. No, it does, and it, and it is different. It's not the same. You know, we've heard, oh, well, we've got skin in the game and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it is a little bit different, but uh, just from, uh, you know, the standpoint of fatalities, um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing okay. I, I do believe that people were trying to uh, infer that, you know, this thing was just going to be bringing aircraft down and people were going to be dying. And, and I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen because I'm, I'm almost as far sure as I'm sitting here, it's going to happen at some point. Um, but I don't know that the problem is as dire as all of the major kicked in and shut down the industry uh, for seven years, nine years, well, whatever. And, you know. and I totally concur. And I think what you're getting there is you're getting this perception of risk that is not necessarily based on data. And now that we have data, we can start to address that risk, you know, a combination of quantitatively rather than just qualitatively, qualitatively and, and these anecdotal uh, levels of measure. So, you know, that's, that's really what I think is the important part of this project is to start to put some quantification to that risk rather than just relying on the fear factor, which, which really has led, as you said, to some slowdown in advancing the UAS industry. When we can maintain that world leadership, now that we have data, let's move forward. Right. And then there's, there's a couple more points I want to make, because even before seeing this report, you know, I, I think we're at, we're, we're definitely, there should be an update out there where people could say, hey, look, all right, maybe we need to revisit some of these regulations. Maybe we need to uh, loosen some of the regulations in certain areas or whatever. We, we can look at this uh, now with the top of this report and the work of other people, we might be able to say, hmm, okay, well, maybe, maybe we came down too hard. But, you know, and again, I'm not going to beat up on DJI for this because they were right place, right time. They had, you know, markets to sell to and whatever else. But what I really feel like, you know, it is that we had a 20-year lead in this technology when the policy clarification came out in 2007. And Gene, I mean, people were doing all kinds of stuff. You know, Chad uh, McGeer had already done, you know, the first transatlantic flight in 1998 and things like that. So we had this gigantic lead, and we just gave it away to another country that, that, that was willing to, to go ahead and push the envelope and invest in the technology. And, and that's, you know, that people are like, well, we're going we're gonna to build a drone, and we're going to catch DJI. That, Chip is out. Good luck. I, I don't think you're going to get. You, you'd have to have billions to compete with them in the under 55. So that now, where are we at? Okay, now I'm looking out over the you know fruited plains, and I'm thinking you know if we don't do something as a community, as a country, at this crossroad in time now, I think we're going to be facing the same. Um, 
situation would be over 55 pounds. I think so. And, you know, just to address your last comment, because I think it's very, you know, very astute, um, you know, if you want a better drone, if you want a U.S. company to, to start, you know, generating market share, build a better mousetrap. You know, why do people buy iPhones? Because iPhone does a heck of a good job. People like them. They work well. They're effective. They, they have all the features people want. And so Apple's been successful because they build a great mousetrap. Well, we need someone in the United States to pick up the ball and do the same thing because that's why DJI is successful. Right. And, and you know, um, it's funny because we even do some stuff on the military side. It's like, oh, we got to, you know, compete with the – it's like, you, you know, there's a whole different channel of fit. You know what I'm saying? Have you been to China, Ryan, just out of curiosity? Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know that I caught that question. I said, have, have you been to China? Uh, I have not been to China, no. <laughs> Someday you got to go to Shenzhen and check it out. I've been there. Gene's checked it out. Um, it's a lot different than let's say what's going on here. But I, 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 it, it is. It, it's just it's nice. But um, what what I think is is you know I think that this drone thing we it's like people are like oh look you can use drones you probably laugh at this too all the time you can use drones to you know, whatever uh, monitor crops and plant trees and do wildfire you know it's like okay man we I'm sold. Sold. We know that uh, there's there's a niche out there and that there's an efficiency and you can make money with it. Sold. But what we need is to have a dog in the fight. Uh, I would like to see a robust aerospace ecosystem here in the United States. I'd like to see a pipeline for STEM that actually you know has something out there for these kids to go work at. And, and I, you know, it's not all altruism. We need a tax base so people can pick up the trash when I'm retired. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you can't have all of that unless you have this ecosystem. What, what do you think? Am I on target, all wet? What, what, what do you think? Well, and, and I agree. I think, you know, obviously we need to play the long game. We're not going to fix problems overnight. Um, the advancement of STEM and education that that's playing the long game. We're looking for a 20, 30, 40 year return when we make the change, when we add funding to those opportunities, when we open those doors. Um, but I think that those are valuable changes when we focus on education, focus on generating the next industry of professionals in STEM and in particular unmanned systems. All right. Well, and, and, you know, we, we, we want that. I mean, it's been determined very early on. This is right after World War II. People came together, and this was just like even the NASA thing when it came together. It's like, if you want to be a, a player on the world stage, you got to have aviation, air, robust aerospace thing. And that's one of the things that concerns me. So, beat that dead horse. I think we're all agreeing on that. Another thing I want to talk about is so this land thing. I've never really been. I'm really not, it's good, I guess. Uh, I'm not really uh, sold on the table reservation system thing. kind of bugs me. Um, and, and one of the things I'm say, because I'm looking at a, a map of Sacramento, and, uh, you know, and, I, and I live really close to downtown here, and, you know, there's an airport, and I've noticed here we've got the Lance boxes and whatever else. Now, back in the day, everyone probably remembers it used to be three miles from the airport. 
We all remember mm -hmm. that, right? And uh, then they decided arbitrarily that they needed to increase that space to five miles from the airport. And it's like, hmm, okay. Um, why do we need it? Well, we just feel like we feel like we need a buzzer. But what I'm seeing here is a lot of these heat maps, uh, or some of the heat maps in this report, could be if this was still the three mile from the airport thing, there wouldn't even be a lance, you know, a need for lance. Or let's say there wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be quite the same problem flying around the airport. Or we would even need that authorization. You know, back in the day, there was talk of maybe kind of expanding things like the bow tie on the approach and departure into the runway, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. But uh, when, when the FAA first floated this idea, it said basically what you're going to do is you do something like this, or maybe five miles from an airport, you're going to add so much uh, square mileage that uh, it's going to create problems for both you and the enforcement side of this thing, and then also an economic viability thing for your aerial photographer. Did, did you notice anything like that when you saw the, these heat maps in these cities? Did you, did you see any patterns? Well, I can tell you what we did see. So, you know, honestly, we saw relatively high compliance rates where people are flying in those particularly periphery grids, those 400-foot grids, uh, in, you know, in the way that they should. That's good. And also, I think the other thing is that we're seeing uh, the largest preponderance of that activity. You look at the actual grids in terms of the altitude values that people are flying in, 400 was by far the largest. And so is it possible that we are seeing um, a lot of activity that is, is – controlled in areas that maybe don't require as much that they really could be released to the normal you know 400 foot limit under part 107 or the 33807 rules etc you know you, 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 I think that we're seeing good news here and finally we've got the data to back it up to show that so whether or not there's going to be changes I can't certainly speak to that but I think the data shows positive news in that regard and, and that's kind of where I was going is this, is this needed? Is it, does it create more of an enforcement issue for the I really, you know, this is my own. I, I thought when we went from three to five miles, that may not be necessary, you know. Maybe the bow tie thing, I could kind of see that. Um, and then the other thing is, is when we clean the airspace down to in between the blades of grass, I thought that that was kind of excessive. And I don't know that excessive, that you are also really, if you're having a problem enforcing what you have now, now you're, now you're, you're expanding all of this space and you're expanding the airspace down to the blades of grass or whatever else, uh, you're, you're really increasing your, let's say, a workload for a group of enforcement folks that doesn't exist. Would you agree or disagree with that? Well, I can tell you it's going to be mighty, mighty difficult to, you know, create any sort of enforcement anyway. When you look at the actual division of the FA that deals with uh, some of the enforcement issues, uh, you're talking about a very small number of individuals. For example, the Law Enforcement Assistance Program. Uh, even if you look at it from just an enforcement of, uh, you know, through the, uh, through the various sectors of the FA, you, you, you know, no one wants to be chasing these things around all day filing enforcement actions. I, I don't think that's the answer. Uh, and I don't think the right. FAA would say that's the answer either. Um, so my question becomes this, 
are there areas where we can release some of that um, enforcement stranglehold? Again, kind of uh, allow more to be done in the airspace. Some of the data suggests that we might be able to do that. Uh, whether or not that's going to happen or not, I, I certainly can't speak to that. But uh, I think that the data shows that much of the system works the way it's designed to work, that people do follow the rules, that there are a small number of people that don't. Um, but generally, thing, uh, generally speaking, I think this is generally good news. Well, and I would agree with that. And that was uh, some of the advice that uh, you know, we, we took as our Kappa into the art of saying, like, look, you have all the rules you want. Uh, your enforcement is something that you have to understand. And if you make you know, the, the rules too draconian, people aren't going to follow them. And as soon as like, the majority of the people stop following your rule, then you get nothing. And uh, so you, you really need to kind of temper what your regulations are. And you want to write about the uh, uh, enforcement. I mean, I call them my little fizz out here. I can't do anything but make a phone call. So how do you you check, uh, you know, let's say, written log books if all you do, well, I just kind of of take their word for it. Hmm, okay. I mean, that doesn't sound like uh, any viable uh, enforcement program. The other thing that I think, uh, you know, people, they talk about this, I'm going on a rant, I don't get in trouble, but, yeah, they talk about the community needs to get educated. We need to educate, you know, over enforcement. And these drones need to be educated. Most of the people at the business and the towers and whatever else that I've talked to, clueless, they need to be educated. They don't, they, they don't feel, if you ask them, most of them say, we don't, we're not really getting... The, the information and the training that we need from HQ. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully some of this data will also educate people at HQ and people there to the folks out in the field and people can kind of understand what's going on out there. And, I, and I'm sure that that was probably one of the goals of research, right? What do you guys want well, to do? It, and you got to have a little bit of empathy for the folks out there because when you think about it, you actually look with a, a cold eye at Part 107 or some of the other rule sets. It, it's actually kind of complicated. I mean, it, 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 in many ways, it shouldn't be as complicated as it is. But you know, especially you start looking at remote ID and you look at the different categories and so on. You know, this is not easy. And oh, by the way, we're going to add to the complication by making continuous changes. Uh, you almost have to be a full-time guy like me to keep up with it all because, you know, you one month later something changes and now you're no longer in compliance anymore. And so w- we have to get to maturity so that we can move forward because right now everyone is chasing to catch up with the regulatory function. Well, at the same time, the other side of the industry, in my opinion, is chomping at the bit to move forward. Well, I, I'm going to have to say... I'm going to have to say, though, as a GA pilot myself, I thought Part 107 was an absolute gift. I didn't think it was complicated at all. I would have been, I have a, I have been a, right, I'm going to guess that you have a far aim book, too. <laughs> now, in the uh, art, I remember one of the guys from the UAPO at the time was like, you know, what you know, we're doing, you're just going to have to trust us on this. They came up to the what was being suggested for what I said, and I said, oh, no, 
like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go there because I have a party, but <laughs> and actually, which of that? And I'm not trying to anybody on anything that can come up with that. So a lot of that stuff is really it's it's convoluted in, in aviation. I don't know aviation. I don't. I think a lot of people think they're consumer electronics industry, but right here it changes. I was even on the uh, SNSD's hangout the other day. They were asking me questions, and I said, you know what, I, you know, I'm not totally 100% sure what's exactly going on right now. I know the trust thing kicked in, and we're trying to, you know, find out who the CEO is, and I don't know, you know, are people doing the hobby? You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's very, and I'm in the business, you know, I'm in the news business. Like, it's very hard to keep your finger on what's going on. Uh, Domestically, and then if you try and do global harmonization and figure out what the heck's going on in the rest of the world, I mean, it's a, that's a full-time gig, you know? So, uh, and then you have all the standards. Are you doing any standards work, Ryan? Uh, you guys? I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not quite understanding that question. Oh, I was just asking if you're, if you're uh, a, a part of any of the standards work, like SAE or ASTM or RTCA or anything like that. Sure. No, I think RTCA is certainly playing a role. In fact, I serve on one of their committees right now. Um, I, I, I think that there is more that's needed, truthfully. I mean, the standards need to come so that we can, again, move forward. I, I would agree. It would be nice if the uh, FAA would adopt more of the validation that, you know, I mean, I started with RTCA in 2004, <laughs> and both Gene and I were at the ASTM kickoff in May of 2005 in Reno, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not a lot of adoption from the FAA, which is kind of a two-way street argument that I have. But anyway, so, well, let's wrap this up. So in closing, is there anything that we didn't hit on that you would like to talk about or mention? Well, I, I think just as a, a basic finding, uh, the report is certainly chock full of information. Uh, it does tell good news. We're seeing positive use of the airspace. We're seeing thousands of drone flights out there that are doing exactly what the FAA wants them to do, flying safely. That's the good news. We have a small number of flights that we, we believe are, are not necessarily flying safely, and we certainly want to highlight those risks to understand them more, uh, to be able to uh, address mitigations uh, that deal with them. And so we're able to now codify what that risk looks like. And finally, uh, the last thing I'd mention is just when you know what's normal, you also know what's abnormal. And so now that we have this data, we have a new baseline to look at the national airspace system and kind of understand what, what, what do drones do out there? What are they about? Where are they at? How are they operating? And let's maybe take a new look, a new perspective with looking at how we can safely integrate drones and move to the next step of integration just as the industry wants to. And, that, and that's all good news. Yeah, I, 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 that uh, sounds like music to my ears. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Um, so hopefully you didn't get any trouble on this deal. I doubt it. It's just an opinion. But um, I would like to, when the, when the next iteration comes out, I'd like to have you back on. I'd like to talk about it because I, I think that we'll be able to build upon this conversation. Lessons learned, where it's going, what's happening, feedback from uh, 
you know, let's say the stakeholders and regulators and all the rest of that. So you come back next year? Absolutely. We'd be happy to come back and share our findings from next year as well. Okay, sounds good. Hey, thanks a lot, uh, Ryan, for being on. Um, I would tell people to go over to the Assure site, assureuas.com, and look for this report. It's, like I said, it's the uh, Small Unmanned Aircraft Systems Traffic Analysis, and uh, you, know, you can learn a lot. All right, and Gene, thank you, sir, for being around the field. I appreciate you being on, and everyone else. Absolutely. All right, thank you, you so know, much, Patrick Dean. Really appreciate you joining you guys.